I was disappointed. It wasn't really entertaining. That was a quote we heard last night from an audience member at the end of the just-released movie Blacklight. Is it a valid comment? Keep listening to hear our thoughts. Hi, this is Tom Pizzotto from SpyMovieNavigator.com. Join us for this quick-fire review as we're cracking the code of the just-released movie Blacklight. As usual with these quick-fires, we won't be giving any spoilers in this review. In our January 2022 spy movie news, we mentioned that Blacklight was coming out this February. In Blacklight, Liam Neeson is Travis Block, an operative whose discovery of a dark secret pits him against the FBI director he once swore to protect. So yes, he's an operative for a government agency, and he'll have a conflict with his boss. Yeah, we've seen that before. Now, Travis Block is played by Neeson, and he's a fixer for FBI director Gabriel Robinson. And there are parallels between Gabriel Robinson and J. Edgar Hoover, if you know that history. Now, when a deep cover agent has a problem, Robinson sends Travis out to get that person out. He works off the books, like we see in a lot of these type of movies. And Block has known and trusted Robinson for a very long time. Robinson also kept Travis out of a heap of trouble in an incident when they served together in the Vietnam War, and that becomes important to the plot of this story. There's also a subplot involving Travis's relationship with his daughter Amanda and his granddaughter Natalie. Travis wasn't a great father figure because he was gone all the time and suspicious of everything. He tries to make amends with his granddaughter, but work gets in the way there too. Yeah, we've seen that before. We all know that in a Liam Neeson action movie, you don't mess with his family. Now, we could be wrong with this, but we think there's a family part added to this movie after Neeson was hired to do this movie. They weren't really needed for the story, but since this was a Liam Neeson movie, you kind of needed it. From a marketing perspective, it made sense. The next plot point we'll mention could be considered a spoiler, but since it's in the trailer, we feel fine talking about it. We think if marketing's going to be stupid enough to put this stuff in their trailers, it becomes fair game and no longer a spoiler. The U.S. government is killing innocent civilians under the guise of protecting democracy. And this becomes central to the plot of the movie, and it's likely where the movie gets its name. We didn't hear blacklight mentioned as a word in the movie, and we were listening for it. But there is mention of an infrared light and how you can see things that you wouldn't normally see. They didn't call it a blacklight. So we suppose the title was given as a light was shown on this bad government behavior. Kind of a stretch, but we think that's probably where it came from. Now, a reporter called Mira Jones starts to suspect this is happening and is given reason to believe that it's true. She ends up meeting with Travis to try to figure things out, and that sets up the main action of the story. The movie stars Liam Neeson as Travis Black, Aidan Quinn as FBI Director Gabriel Robinson, Emmy Robert Lampman as Mira Jones, Taylor John Smith as Dusty Crane, and Claire Vanderboom as Travis's daughter Amanda. At Spy Movie Navigator, we talk about how scenes in spy movies are influenced by other movies or real-life events. So let's take a look at some of those instances. We'll start this part of the discussion by saying, this movie is pretty cliché. There are the obligatory vehicle chases, fist fights, a big plot twist, a subordinate having a problem with a boss, and since this is a Liam Neeson movie, an issue with his family. Those things are in most spy movies, so it's hard to pick one scene from one movie that influences or not. But those are the things you see in almost every spy movie. Now, one scene that did have what we thought was a great callback to both the James Bond movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service and the Harry Palmer movie, The Ipcris File. Travis Block shows up at boss Gabriel Robinson's house while Robinson is working in his garden. In The Ipcris File, Harry goes to Ross's house as Ross is tending to his garden. And in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Bond goes to M's house 
while M is tending to his butterfly collection. We like that touch. We think this was a callback to those two movies. Now, as for the vehicle chases, there are two major chases in this movie. One involves a Porsche and some sort of Chevrolet SUV. We couldn't tell the model. This was very cliche, and somehow the Porsche could not easily outrun the SUV. Seemed a little odd. The second chase had Travis's Dodge Challenger chasing a garbage truck. And it was almost humorous the way that the Challenger tried to battle with this garbage truck. We did like this chase. It was kind of humorous, though but we thought it was a nice twist on the chase trope. Now, speaking of Travis's car, this Dodge Challenger was loud, like really loud. Yet he would drive it to places where he needed to go unnoticed. You have this big rumble of this car and he's trying to sneak around places. Seemed like an odd car choice for him. Now, the most obvious callback in this movie has to be to earlier Liam Neeson's work, namely the Taken trilogy. In those movies, he needs to protect or find a member of his family. Now, the audience would expect something similar in this movie because although Neeson's character has a different name, it's still Liam Neeson using his very particular set of skills. The trailer leads one to believe that this is a huge part of the plot. In fact, before we saw the movie, we expected this review to be spending its time talking about how this could have been called Taken 4, but it really isn't. So we, we actually like that, but the trailer makes you think it does. There's still a family issue in this movie, but it doesn't manifest itself until about two-thirds of the way through it. So while it's important, it isn't the main plot of the movie, and we think that's good in our opinion. It's not like they just made Taken 4 here with a, with a different character name. So what are our overall thoughts on Blacklight? Was that quote at the beginning of this discussion accurate? Well, it wasn't a terrible movie, but it was cliche and a bit boring for an action movie. Now that said, let's talk about some of the things we liked about Blacklight. And the first thing to point out is Emmy Raver Lampman, who plays reporter Mira Jones. Although her part wasn't well written, and most of this movie has that problem, we liked Emmy in this role. Now you may know her as Allison in the Netflix series The Umbrella Academy. She was also on Broadway in Hamilton, among other shows. We weren't familiar with her. Although we thought she did a very good job here, and she stood out for us in this movie. Aiden Quinn was another high point. He's an actor who always delivers good work. Again, his part wasn't well written, but he stole almost every scene he was in. Another actor who we want to call out is Georgia Flood, who plays a character called Pearl. Now, this is a very small role, but she lit up the screen every time she was on it. I can't place my finger on what it was. But there was something about her when she came on the screen, it was like, oh, yeah, Pearl's back. As for the big star of the movie, Liam Neeson, if you liked him as Brian Mills in Taken, you're going to like him here. Yes, he's 69 years old, so he's 13 years older than when he did Taken. He doesn't run as well as he did. He can't fight quite as well. But he knows how to play this character. And when we did our review of the movie The Last Mercenary, we talked about how an older Jean-Claude Van Damme could still deliver on his character type albeit a little bit slower. And the same thing happens here. Neeson knows how to deliver this type of character, so age just means there isn't quite as much oomph behind it. There's another thing we liked, and it's where they didn't go with this movie. They almost did, and they almost killed this movie at the beginning of it. The movie opens with a politician, Sophia Flores, giving a speech. It was a typical left-leaning speech that we would expect from a Democratic candidate here in the U.S., she was quite obviously there to make the U.S. audience think about U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC as she's called. 
And it made us think, uh oh, this movie's going to be all about left leaning politics, which in the US would irritate half the audience. Now, they do balance this out a little bit in the next scene where a bunch of what we'll call a right-leaning mob has a deep cover agent trapped in her motorhome. Now, fortunately, they could have taken these two scenes and continued on with a pretty preachy, woke movie, and they didn't do it. The conservative versus the liberal rhetoric ended very quickly, and given the polarity of these types of topics in the U.S., it was good they moved off of it. We also like the overall score. Mark Isham's soundtrack works very well for this movie. And I guess that's probably about it and what we really liked about this movie. So what was the problem with the movie? What didn't we like? Mainly, in our opinion, the script was weak. There wasn't much to it. This could have easily been an hour or maybe a 90-minute made-for-TV movie instead of trying to be a Hollywood blockbuster. It was a ho-hum, check-off-the-list-of-what-Neeson-action movies are supposed to be, and that was it. The screenplay was credited to Nick May, and it's his first screenplay, and it kind of felt like it. I mean, here are a couple examples of lines to back up our thoughts. Everything I did was for you. Or someone says, you aren't really going to shoot me, and gets the response, yes, I will. Or, I suspect I made a poor career choice. Or, if I find out you had anything to do with my granddaughter disappearing, you're going to need more men. And finally, you are my weapon. You work for me. Yeah, not scintillating stuff. Not all that original feel to this stuff. And that's the problem with the movie. It didn't grab us. Now, the big twist in this movie comes out very early in the movie, and Travis Block takes a long time to figure it out. It's very obvious, which might be why they gave it away early. And we hate it when the twist comes in early. Please keep us in suspense further into the movie. Now, this is a little brutal, but we think May should probably stick to his role as an assistant director at the Federal Trade Commission here in the U.S. Leave the writing to other people. Now, as a quick aside here, May, who was an attorney, had sued the director to get the screenplay by credit on this movie. The lawsuit said the story was written by Mays, and director Mark Williams was trying to steal the screenplay by credit. Well, it ended up May got the credit, but we're not sure why he'd want to own this script. As we've said, it was cliche. Now, the trailer also has a problem. Marketing teams never seem to learn. They blow the movie for you. They either show you almost everything that's good in the movie, or they do what they did here, and in Blacklight, they gave away the big twist in the trailer. You knew what was coming if you watched the trailer. It's kind of like in The Kingsman, The Golden Circle, where the trailer shows Harry was back in the movie after everybody thought he was dead from the first Kingsman movie. Marketing showed Harry in the trailer, which ruined the surprise. Trailers are supposed to get us excited to see the movie not give away the major twists. The trailer also shows Travis walking into an empty house. He says, where's my family? And this leads you to believe this is yet another version of the Taken series. And it isn't. Here's another annoying thing. Travis Block had OCD, which manifested itself by showing him needing to do things three times. There's no backstory. He just does some things three times in a row. It looks kind of quirky, but there's no reason why. Also, this movie could have been called The Gang Who Couldn't Shoot Straight. We don't know how many bullets get fired in the movie, but there's a lot, and 99% of them don't even come close to their targets. What is it with these spy movies? Can't anyone shoot? We often complain about this in our podcast, and here it's true again. A lot of bullets fly, but people either never get shot or it takes 100 bullets to do it. 
Another thing that drove us nuts was the cinematography or the editing. We're not sure which this was. Shelley Johnson was a cinematographer, and he has an excellent resume, as does editor Michael Shaver. Anyway, fairly often there were visual glitches where something would appear to like back up a half a second and then go forward. It almost felt like the film was given a strong shake at these points. This was definitely a choice made either in the filming or in the editing, as it was consistent, and we've read other reviewers who have commented about this. Now, when we edit our videos, we use a consumer editing package that has glitch effects built in. And we hate glitch effects. It felt like this is what we saw here, and it was distracting. It didn't seem to serve a purpose and was just annoying. Then there was another pet peeve of ours. In one scene, a guy walks across a wet floor in an indoor parking garage. He gets into his Porsche and drives out onto bone-dry streets. We know they like to shoot scenes with cars on wet pavement, as some people think it looks better than drive pavement on the screen. However, when he's walking in the garage, we're thinking, why is the floor wet? He's indoors. Then, it wasn't raining in the garage, and when he got outside, the roads were dry, so it wasn't raining out there either. It was just really odd, and the juxtaposition between the wet floor of the parking garage and the bone-dry streets just was weird. There are a few additional things we'd like to quickly point out. The first has to do with the filming of this movie. Although the story's location was Washington, D.C., the movie was filmed in Australia. Given that, most of the supporting roles were played by Australian actors, and we liked that. We like when the local actors get involved. This was filmed during the COVID pandemic, so it makes sense that we saw that. Next, in the credits, there was a team assigned to COVID issues. That was a sign of our times. We wonder what we'll think of when we watch this movie in a few years and see those credits again. And finally, the age of the audience was interesting to us. This is an action movie, and it stars 69-year-old Liam Neeson. Okay, so now this is an extremely small data set to base what we're going to talk about next. There were only five other people in the theater when we went. That said, I'm 59 years old, and I was at least 10 years younger than any of the other five people in the audience. Is Liam Neeson drawing an older audience than what we usually see for action movies? Or was this an anomaly? We don't know. The data set was extremely small, but it's an interesting data point to us. So let's get back to the quote from that audience member that we opened this episode with. I was disappointed. It wasn't really entertaining. We couldn't have said it better ourselves. Well, that's a wrap of our quickfire no-spoiler review of the new movie Blacklight. This has been Tom Pizzotto from SpyMovieNavigator.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app and our YouTube channel, both called Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, too. And finally, tell a friend about our show. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.